Hey everyone, welcome to New Slang. I'm your host, music journalist Thomas Mooney, and this is episode 106, where I'm joined by singer-songwriter Garrett T. Caps. I caught up with the San Antonio, Texas native this past Sunday. Caps is one of my favorite songwriters out there right now because you're really never totally sure what you're going to get next from him. He's going to zig when you think he's about to zag. At times, it's this expansive cinematic adventure. It's space country. It's cosmic, but not in that Joshua Tree desert swept kind of way. More so like in a kraut rock meets post rock kind of interstellar kind. Sometimes it's dive bar caps. It's raw and nimble, piss and vinegar. It's garage rock and punk in a sense. He's very spry. And then sometimes it's more of this honky-tonk grittiness, Lone Star beer all night and low ceilings, chain smoking and cowboy hats. Then there's the Tex-Mex torchbearer caps where he's embracing those South Texas roots. And then of course there's those moments where he blends them all. But the reason I even bring up these distinctions is because he releases enough music that he can go into these directions for a record or two without sounding lost or unsure. We talk about those distinctions and influences and interests throughout this conversation, meeting and playing with guys like Texas legend Augie Myers, diving into San Antonio music history, and growing up with fellow songwriter John Bauman and plenty of other stuff. I think y'all really enjoy this one. If this is your first time listening to New Slang, I strongly suggest hitting that subscribe link. If you just did, I'm giving you a virtual high five right now. New Slang is over on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and basically any and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Go check out the New Slang merch store, grab a koozie, some stickers, buttons, and magnets. Any bit helps. I'll throw a link into the show notes. And if you're into playlists, go check out Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee and the Neon Eon playlists over on Spotify. The Neon Eon is for all your nostalgic 90s country needs, which there's going to be more Neon Eon related stuff coming your way pretty soon. And then Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee is a regularly updated mix of new Americana and country music. It's also a really great hint at who I have coming up on the podcast. So yeah, go follow those. All right, that's enough for the intro. Here is Garrett T. Caps. Start off with just, you know, you released um, All Right, All Night last year, and it's part of this trilogy. Can you expand on what, what this the trilogy record is, like this space country, NASA country, what, what the, the broader storyline is? Um... Well, the In the Shadows Again album, I guess, I didn't know it was a trilogy when we made it. And then uh, when I was working on All Right All Night and decided to like weave in synths and stuff, I figured it would make it really ridiculous to like say that it was part of a trilogy. So now there's a trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, it's what you've done with these, with these new records or with like the last two is like, there is those synths. So there is this like very, um, like very post-rocky kind of atmospheric cinematic feel. It's a very, very spacey. Uh-huh. And like you, you even had like the, the, the backing band NASA country as, as the, the moniker. Um, what, what, how did you guys, how did you drift into, into going in that direction? Um, I guess, like, in 2016, 2017, I 
was kind of getting more into like kraut rock, like Noi and Tan or whatever. And, and uh, it's kind of like more like transcendental psychedelic rock. And uh, also just still writing songs and stuff. But I, I, I uh, really wanted to make like my first professional quote unquote album. But I was also like starting to collaborate with uh, some local people in town that like my friend Justin, who does my only modular synth stuff. He's technically like a sound artist. Um, Torin, who's just like a far out guitarist. So I basically put together a band for the In the Shadows album. It was just like weirdo musicians from in town. And that's kind of like uh, what that album is. We really didn't know what we were doing on that album whatsoever compared to these days, I guess. But uh, um, I think it was just like really enjoying kind of psychedelic music for, I mean, I got really into kraut rock, just like the two chord, fast paced um, type of music that can just go on forever. Right. And then, uh, that's like where like here right now kind of comes from that that mold. Yeah. But uh just kind of collaborating with these local artists that that feel the same way and are open to uh like experimental music and just stuff like that. Yeah. And uh also, I mean, we made that album and I I have other lineups and I've I'm kind of all over the place personally because i i like to t try and go out and play as many shows as possible so i have several different backing bands but i would say that the nasa country band we like those are like my really good friends and so it like it's cool to play with them yeah but we haven't like we played pickathon last year we went to europe last year but like um nasa country hasn't like been my only band i guess yeah, well, I know, like, you do have, like, all these, like, it's almost like there's three or four, five Garrett T. Caps making records and playing shows and stuff. Because, like, you know, like, yeah, like, the NASA country thing, um, that is very, very spacey. Like, I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with Can in general, but, like, those songs, like you said, like, they're, they kind of do go on forever. Like, a lot of those records are, like, four tracks long and... uh like eighteen minute songs and ten minute yeah, songs. Yeah, totally. Um, and I, I, you can see that being the case with with your music, as you could see a lot of those songs having a version where they're ten minutes long, and you've kind of like honed that into being more of the, I guess, finding that middle ground between the honky tonk three minute song and then that being like the the epic kind of just endless cycle of of a, of a song. Um, yeah. I, I'm like, like, uh, I don't know. I, I just write the songs the way I write my songs. You can probably hear my influences in there. Like for the core of the song, like I'm a big Robert L. Keen fan or, you know, Tom Petty, but, uh, I don't know. I guess like the NASA country thing is funny to me. Like, in San Antonio, 
we don't have like a thriving music scene per se. Um, so it's just kind of like all of the creative scenes work together in a lot of ways, or like you get to know the people in the arts scene or the, or, uh, the restaurant scene. And that's kind of like, or like free jazz artists or whatever. And, uh, I think what's funny about like the NASA country product is it's essentially just a product of, uh, knowing people in the San Antonio creative community and just kind of, it kind of coming together. But looking back at it now, especially seeing like what we're working on at this very moment and what we did last year, like touring Spain and stuff like that. Uh, it's cool that like something that was just for fun in town kind of came together and, uh, and has taken, has gone, we've gone further places than just San Antonio with it. Yeah. A couple of questions on that. One, um, is it like, is it super receptive over in Europe simply because of, you know, the, the more of the kraut rock kind of thing. It feels like they, like that, like over there, they're, I, I don't know, a little bit more informed about that kind of music than maybe here. Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, I guess what I was thinking of when I was, when I was talking about the in the shadows or how that kind of like transpired, there's someone outside of my room right now making noise. <laughs> um, uh, basically like there is an interesting span of events that happened, but one something that did happen was there's this website called altcountry.nl um, based out of, I think it's Groningen in the Netherlands. And it's this guy named John and a few other people. And they asked me to mail my CDs to them because they like love CDs over there still. And, uh, I like paid the 20 bucks to ship my CDs to the Netherlands. And they like gave me like a five star review on their website. And all of a sudden I had like a, festival offer to play this festival take root in 2018 it was headlined by kurt vile and father john misty and like sarah shook and the disarmers i think american aquarium played it as well it was just like a really solid festival and uh that hooked me up with a booking agency over there and that was like the first tour like four months after that review went up on that website but uh they kind of like, I've had this interesting or just like fondness for their passion for this kind of stuff since then. Just noticing like how many of my favorite artists have found success over there um, for many years and just seeing like how they kind of found out about In the Shadows again organically and they like saw it as a new step. Um for country music, <laughs> which is what I was trying to do. But like no one around here has really told me that other than like people I know, I guess. Yeah. But the Dutch people, the Dutch people like saw it for what I felt it was. And, uh, yeah, they like the weird shit. They like weird country <laughs> and everything else. Yeah. But, uh, 
They have good taste, I yeah. guess. Yeah, well, or like really, really interesting taste. What I always, what I liked about it a whole lot was the the post Rocky aspects of it. The the just like kind of like you you felt really small listening to the to like the the sonic qualities of the of the songs, but then like the a lot of the storytelling, they feel like they are like these just classic kind of uh, prototype honky tonk songs. Um, and, and just like where that blend came from, I, it, it, to me, that's what really drew me in was, was that. And then like, just there's some of the things that you sing about that. I don't know if, I'm not sure if a lot of people have been, have talked about, but like you, you do tap into a lot of, um, I guess themes about like theology and like questioning of, of life after death and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess when I started writing songs, however long ago, like the things I still write about haven't changed. Like I, I don't really do that many story songs. I usually just, it's usually about dying or try, tr- trying to feel positive or about things. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't usually like write story songs or make up characters or something like that. So there's only like a few different directions you can go. If, uh, in my mind, if you don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean like to, to me, like that song lately, um, that is just like one of my favorite songs of like the last couple of years, because like, it, it does feel like the really like that, like Sunday sun, um, a beauty in the horizon, like all of those feel like sun coming up, like you've spent the entire night by yourself and like, you've just, I don't know, tapped into something strange in the universe. Um, you get what I'm saying? Like, that's what, yeah. Like, it, I mean, thanks like, man. Like those, that's, uh, what I would hope people could take away from it. So that is awesome. Well, like specifically like the song lately, um, I guess like, where did that come from? Where was like the, the initial root of that song from? Um, I think, uh, it definitely rooted from like a previous relationship and just being unhappy in it. And also, uh, starting from there and just see where the song goes, I guess, which usually ends up talking about larger, uh, philosophies or whatnot yeah well you talk about like the what's i'm paraphrasing here on the line but like i wish that time would loosen up instead of just taking away that right there like that was probably like my favorite line of last year just like that concept of of time passing and like how um i don't even know if this is like your intentions but like i was thinking about how i don't know if you were trying to tap into talking about how like time is kind of like a a man-made object or like a thing not an object necessarily but like a it's man-made in a lot of ways and how we like count everything by time like that's how we are able to like structure our lives but then like how that can just get in the way of of living yeah totally i mean time i was just talking about that a few days ago like not related to the song but yeah, time's weird, especially in the corona times. 
Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I think you put it in that category. Like, like, uh, I think that's what I meant by that line. Like, uh, something within the world of, within the thought process of like, Oh, that was just a few days ago, but it felt a long time ago. Or I can't believe that was a month ago. It feels like a year ago. Like, it's just like a really time has a strange effect on your memory. Yeah. And, and also like just, I, I used to do this a whole lot, but I still do it every once in a while. I get a whole lot of anxiety about time and like, are you, am I where I'm supposed to be at that, at this point? You know what I mean? Cause it feels like sometimes you, I guess the way you envision life, you're like a lot further ahead than, than maybe you are. And I used to get a whole lot, I used to get like really strung up about like that kind of stuff when I was in school because it felt like I was never going at the, the pace that I wanted to. And I don't know, like it feels like I, all the time stuff, I find myself, it's probably more about me than anything else is like how I always relate things to the time and how like time is just like, it feels like you, you can't wrangle time at all. And what do you do about that? <laughs> yeah, totally. Or like, yeah, it's hard to like, for me to revel in the moment sometimes. I've been trying harder to do that. That's, but, uh, because all of a sudden, like you'll have like a really great time or you'll have wonderful memories of something. But like when it was happening, like, uh, you might not realize it, you know? Yeah. Like what I, and this is something just because I have to do this to try and stay organized is I um, almost always am making lists and like that may be like a list of stuff I need to do this week, list of stuff I need to do today. And it feels like that's where so much more time gets put into is trying to like schedule time out versus like enjoying the moment, like you say. And that's very, very difficult. I think for most people to do is like the, how do you just like, I don't know, like let all the, the tension out of your body and out of your mind and just like enjoy what's happening during that moment versus like trying to capture it for later. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, one of the big, um, that's what everyone struggles with in one way or another, I would say. Yeah. And it, of course it doesn't help that we have iPhones that can capture everything. Like you, that's, that's the one, maybe the one place that I don't, uh, try and capture stuff for later is that that shows like, I'm never like the person <laughs> trying to like Snapchat the entire show or like trying to make videos. Cause I'm also like, who actually watches those videos <laughs> later on? Yeah. I don't think anyone really does. I don't know. Um, one of the things I wanted to go back to though, is you were talking about San Antonio. Obviously you grew up in San Antonio. You still live there. You're part of the art community, all that kind of stuff. And you were mentioned in the art community. Um, I think we always think of like San Antonio being this big city and it, it is big and it's growing and all that stuff. But when it comes to the art scene and all that part, does it still feel like a small town, if you will? Absolutely. Yeah. I probably say that every day. I mean, uh, yeah, it feels like a small town, and it's felt that way for a long time. 
um, you know, especially like in the alternative music world, um, you know, it's just kind of like everyone's kind of, when I started playing solo, I definitely found like comfort here because it was so laid back. Scene wasn't too competitive. When I was first starting out, I lived in Austin and I didn't really have very much luck. Uh, I mean, I have some friends up there, but I couldn't get, I couldn't really find my way in the scene up there. But uh, down here, you could do whatever you want and make friends and no one really cared. And, and uh, I mean, you set your own standards, but you can have a good time no matter what. Yeah. I, I do and wonder if, you, if like, if you want to get out of town, then you can, but you don't have to. It's laid back down here. Yeah. I wonder if like the, like the, since it is so close to Austin that that makes it where it is a little bit more laid back because you're our entire lives. We're told Austin live music capital of the world, all that kind of stuff. So you, you get the sense that, Hey, I need to move to Austin to become, I don't know, my, my yeah, full potential. I mean, it's been that way for so long. Like, uh, i I'm pretty fascinated with San Antonio's music history, like uh, of all genres, but like, I, I've always really been interested in, uh, like venues and what bands have played here. And, uh, I mean, not only do we have like a really strong cultural history with like Conjunto and Norteño music, but, uh, I mean, obviously, we're kind of people still call us. It's like it's pretty much an outdated term. The heavy metal capital. I don't know if you've heard that. Mm-hmm. But like, I remember reading in the Austin Chronicle they called San like two years ago they called San Antonio the heavy metal capital. I'm like, y'all are so out of the loop, you know? <laughs> like we were the heavy metal capital in like 1988 or something. Yeah. But uh. I don't know. We, we, we used to like be an epicenter for country music, especially, uh, back, I guess in like the fifties and sixties. And I think that, I think that Austin's, um, cosmic cowboy armadillo world headquarters culture kind of started overshadowing that. Right. Um, but I mean, it took over country music in a lot of ways. So, what could you expect? It's right off the road. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I think like, this is going to sound like I'm talking like shit on Austin. I do like going to Austin. I love the, the, the scene there. I love like going and visiting all that kind of stuff. But, um, so much of, of our ideas of different towns is the, who can come up with like a great slogan. You know what I mean? Like, there's like if if uh like the live capital music that kind of thing or you know um keep austin weird stuff like that like it it it's part of the the lexicon all of a sudden and um you know like it, not to say like you're you're underwhelmed by by when you when you get there or something but sometimes it can be a letdown i know like here in lubbock i guess like we've we've kind of built up the lore of lubbock and then some people get here and they're like, oh, it's not nearly as cool 
as I expected it. And so like, I don't know, like it's this weird thing that sometimes like the, the bumper sticker, the slogan can like really make, make it seem way cooler than it is or worse sometimes. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anyone that's moving to Austin anymore, but Mm -hmm. I also don't really know like young 20 somethings or like rich tech people. So yeah, well, uh, no one from Texas is, that's probably the the caveat. I mean, I think you graduate from college at UTSA or in San Antonio or something like, like Austin still has its allure, but it's just, it's so like impossible to live a normal life there. It seems and not in a good way. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, you know, like you, and I've seen you do this lately on Facebook is you've been really diving into the San Antonio history, asking people like, Hey, anyone been to this show, you know, or like who was at this venue, that kind of stuff. What's been like the most interesting kind of, uh, San Antonio historical facts. Have you, have you run across by just asking people about San Antonio music history? Um, I mean, I think that like kind of we're kind of talking about this, but moving back to like kind of this San Antonio big city um, scenario, but like part of what I like to kind of call the San Antonio thing in a lot of ways is like no one's like waving a flag down here, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean like, kind of with branding and all that stuff, like you're talking about with Austin or whatever, like a lot of amazing stuff has happened here, but no one was no one. Everyone just tells their friends or whatever. And yay, you know, just like that was awesome. No one's like trying to like capitalize off of it or, you know, but a lot of cool music stuff's happened here. There's like a, let's see. Um, there is a little bar called Casbeers down here that was on Blanco Road. And it was kind of like an offshoot of like the Kerrville folk scene. And growing up here, like, and as I got more into songwriting and Texas songwriting and stuff like that, um, I didn't really know what, where like San Antonio stood like in the songwriter scene. Cause it's hard to like, you never really hear about it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, there was this place called Casbeers that, um, it was a restaurant and like a small hole in the wall. And they just had like, the owners were named Steven Barbara and they were open, I think since like the eight eighties. And that, that was like where all the songwriters went. Like, um, I'm trying to pull up a list right now, but, uh, I mean, they loved Doug song, like Doug and Augie hung out there. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they'd have rock shows and stuff, but they'd, they'd have like, I'm trying to pull up a list like <laughs> Billy Joe Shaver has played there or, um, you might need to edit this. I'm looking at my Facebook post right now. <laughs> Peter Case or whoever. None, none of this stuff is none of this stuff is like that amazing to someone that might not live here, 
the fact that there's just this songwriter venue in San Antonio that was just like a small hole in the wall restaurant. Yeah. But to me, it's really cool because it like sheds light on this culture that, that was there that only the people that knew about it knew about it. Like no one was really like, it wasn't famous. Yeah. But, but the people that do know about this stuff here care about it. And, uh, there was a cafe called the Leon Springs cafe. Um, like somewhere on I 10 in between here and Kerrville. And they had like all of the songwriters in the eighties, like the Texas songwriters like James McMurtry or Towns Van Zandt or Raul Keen. It's just like my friend found these photocopied calendars of, uh, from back in the day from the Leon Springs cafe and it's like the talent lineups insane. And I, I'm obsessed with this genre of music. I had never heard of that place. Yeah. That's like, um, like that kind of history yeah. right there. Like the, you're, you're talking about like, I don't know if anyone else would be interested in it other than people kind of invested in that area. I, I, I feel like the, the, the kind of the same thing about here in Lubbock. Like when I first moved here, probably like that first year I was like going out and trying to find just different stuff, like stuff that probably really didn't matter. Like I, I went and found like Buddy Holly's, like the house that he bought for his parents, you know? And I, it was just one of those, I, right. I couldn't find it right now if I needed to, but it was like, Oh, I found the house and I just drove by. It didn't even like take a photo or nothing. It was just like, okay, yeah, that's, that's real cool. And then, you know, went and found something else and then went and found something else. And, it's all these little things that are, you know, they do like the Hollywood tours in LA and stuff about this is where blah, blah, had an overdose and died. And you know, like that kind of stuff, like real Hollywood history and like the stuff here, people wouldn't want to sign up for anything like that. But to me, it's, it's like the same level of like just interesting, not even, I don't even, there's a, I guess there's a history. It's like a a magical feeling. Yeah. Like one of the things that I, um, I, so like Guy Clark, you know, he, he grew up in Monahans, which is about 30, 40 minutes north of Fort Stockton where I grew up. And of course I didn't know that the entire time growing up, but then of course then you become like a Guy Clark fan and then you, and I guess like it was one of those things I, I was a fan, but never really thought, oh, you know, some of these songs are about Monahans until like a couple of years ago. And then I went and like last time I went home, well, not the last time, but the, the time that I went home around that time, I went and like found all those things in Monahan's and like, no, <laughs> no one in Monahan's cares, you know? But then like I found, uh, like Jackson, uh, Prig's grave. Who's the, he is who, um, Desperado's waiting on a train is about. Uh-huh. And I found his grave in, in Monahan's. And after that, people were asking me where to find it. And I was like, I, I don't want to just give out that info. Like it took me like an hour and a half like, going through the Monahan's cemetery to find this. Like you, you can find it though. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's, it's this weird, I, I don't want to feel like I'm a, like I have to gatekeep that or something like that, but it's also like, you know, or we, we don't want to just, give it like if it, if it's worth it to you you can go find it i don't know totally 
Yeah, I uh, and I can only imagine and love it with all the crazy music history there. I mean, yeah, it, it's I've found a lot more stuff lately because I I know a little bit more about it now than when I initially moved here. But I don't know. It's it's still it's strange because Lubbock is still such a a a, a young town. You know, I think like it's only like a, a barely over a hundred years old as far as like being established probably like 115 or something like that, which is pretty young in, in town, uh, ages. Like, right. so like there is a lot of stuff still around and, but, but also at the same time, there's like, like the, uh, Caldwell studio, like the original one, that's not there. And that's where like Lubbock on everything. And like all these classic main brothers records and all right. the, like that's where all that kind of stuff happened. But like that, none of that's around. But I like it's one of those like you still just drive by an empty lot and be like, yeah, that's where that was, I guess. <laughs> right on. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I drive around and try to find out where these old venues and honky tonks were. Like in San Antonio, there were honky tonks. Like up into the '90s, there were some pretty cool ones in town, and they just went away. No one really like carried the torch after that it was just like over this episode is sponsored by the blue light live and tom's daiquiri here in lubbock texas like pretty much every bar and venue in the country blue light 2 has been closed for much of the year due to the pandemic what they've done though is adapt and evolve and so for the foreseeable future tom's has curbside service monday through saturday from 4 p.m to 10 p.m you'll be able to get your blue light essentials that's daiquiris, beer, hand sanitizer, and snacks. What you'll want to do is call up Tom's with your order at 1-806-749-5442, and then you'll run by 1806 Buddy Holly Avenue and pick up your order. It's pretty simple. I'll throw a link to the menu in the show notes. While you're at it, head over to bluelightlubbock.com, click the merch tab, and get yourself some much-needed blue light merch. They recently just restocked with koozies, t-shirts, and caps. My personal favorite is this new shirt that they have in cantaloupe with blue ink. I know you're asking, what color is cantaloupe? Well, it's literally like the color of like a freshly cut cantaloupe. As someone who typically wears various shades of denim, probably going to have to get this shirt for that much needed pop of color in my closet. But I digress. So to recap, call Tom's Daiquiri Monday through Saturday for some curbside pickup and visit bluelightlubbock.com for some blue light merch. All right, back to the show. honky-tonk place than than Lubbock like Lubbock if, I don't know it's, it's uh I don't know if Lubbock has what I would call any I'm sure there were some like classic honky-tonks here back in the day but like when I think of honky-tonks you, you think of like the hill country that area all the way back through up into Houston you know so yeah I don't know um what's been like what what, what is like your favorite name of one of these places because, like, all these honky-tonks have great names. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the real famous one, from what I gather, was called The Farmer's Daughter. <laughs> That's pretty It's good. a funny name, Yeah, I guess. Well, you know, um, that, uh, but, yeah. The, the, um, that Mike and the Moon Pies record that just came out of Gary Stewart songs, that yeah. first song is Bottom of the Pile. And apparently that was, like, Gary Stewart's go-to 
place, his his honky tonk dive bar, bottom of the pile. And I was like, man, that is yeah, a, that's such awesome. a fucking good name. <laughs> um, you know, you you mentioned like kind of getting in with like a lot of these older guys in San Antonio. You mentioned Doug Som and Augie Myers a minute ago. You've you've and, and Augie was on the last record. How did you meet him and like what has it been like having him as like a, a you know someone you can call? Um, I mean, Augie's cool. He uh, he just loves to gig and and play, and it's it's really wild. Whenever I reflect on hanging out with him or collaborating with him or just his career in general, um, like he's been, he's been there like since the beginning, I guess, of post Beatlemania rock and roll. And, uh, like a few years ago, I threw an album release party for In the Shadows again at this venue in town called the paper tiger, which is like our alternative thousand cap club. And, uh, it was this wild Cinco de Mayo, just like anything goes crazy party that we had like Flaco Jimenez play. And I put together a band that like backed him up and we just played all his hits. And that was like during the afternoon. And then, his brother Santiago Jimenez Jr., who isn't as famous, but is really badass and plays more traditional stuff. They like collaborated after our set with Flacco. And then when that was done, um, I played my set. And then my friend Travis was having an album release and his band played a set. And then Augie came on and then we all played. And it was just this like, it was like an iconic day in San Antonio. Uh, shit show rock club history, I'd like to think. Yeah. But that was like kind of the beginning of my collaborations with Augie. Like we played my song about San Antonio that night. And uh, it usually goes over well down here. And Augie's, he's, he's cool. And he, uh, he always has really good stories. And he has, he's the guy with the, with the Vox organ sound and yeah. the studio that he likes to record at is I can walk to it from where I live here. So we'll just overdub his parts there. And, uh, it's cool to hang with Augie and we've done more gigs. Like we did gigs last year. Like I had him play the white horse in Austin, which was really fun. Um, yeah, she's down for the gig. It's crazy. Yeah. What, what, I guess like, obviously he's so iconic for, for Texas music and, um, you know, like, like you said, like that post Beatles mania kind of thing. And then going into the Tex-Mex, like him and Psalm, like kind of just creating Tex-Mex in a lot of ways. Um, how, how informed were you as a kid though? Like at what point did you, did you realize like, Oh, this guy is like, super important obviously you you didn't necessarily know him at the time but um. right yeah i didn't i didn't know much um i grew up like on the north side of town like kind of in the suburbs and 
Uh, I remember when the Texas Tornadoes self-title album came out that like, Hey Baby, Que Paso was like the mm -hmm. citywide anthem. Like we have Fiesta down here is like our Mardi Gras. It's like two weeks long and there's like just parties every night all over town. And uh, I remember going to this Fiesta event when I was like five and I just remember hearing Hey Baby, Que Paso. Um, like every, that was just like the talk of the town. Like everyone knew that song. It seemed if I knew it as a five-year-old on the north side, then like everyone knew it. <laughs> right. But uh, I didn't really explore the tornadoes catalog or like the Doug Samaragi or the Sir Douglas Quintet or whatever until way later on when I started getting into Texas music deliberately yeah you know what's for me like what's weird is i remember texas tornadoes the same kind of thing like as far as like uh hey baby hey baby and then like um who were you thinking of like that record yeah. obviously because of my grandparents they were always playing it but then later like i guess discovering um sir douglas quintet like on on its own and then, like at some point, realizing like these were like the same people, and yeah, like the it's crazy, man. Like, uh, yeah, like, I mean, like she's about a mover was a big hit, so mm -hmm. yeah. I just mean, thinking like, about like how they went from that to the tornadoes is pretty mind blowing to me because there's a lot of time in between and highs and lows. Yeah, and the fact that like the middle age super group of Tex-Mex South Texas guys could find that much success at that point in their career is really cool to me. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's so, and I guess also with Doug Somm, just, it feels like there's just a wealth of, of records there that I don't know, maybe didn't get their due. Like I know like the, well, the first song that I heard independently of Somm's, was that song Texas Tornado. And like just yeah. like never really like like again, like it just never really registered that like these this was like the same guy as is like you you listening to Texas Tornadoes as a kid. Or like even like just if you want to go the other route with Freddie Fender, like just his entire I guess that was a little bit easier to like connect. But still right. like there's like so much just a wealth of of music there that you just it feels like you um once you start digging, you realize there's like so much more, and I don't know. It's there's just a, it's easy to like pick out the the hits, but then also there's just so many, I guess different name. I, I guess like that's probably the part of it is like there's just so many different names too of all these different bands, as far as like what the releases were getting released as. Yeah, and I think yeah, Doug Som apparently was just all over the place all the time. And, uh, but like, I guess what's really cool, to, also really cool to me about the tornadoes and like how that all came together. And it's like, they're some of those, the biggest songs on the, that record are the most memorable songs. The two you mentioned, um, were written by Augie. It's like, he just like came out of the gate swinging, uh, on that one. He's just a clever dude. 
And those songs are just timeless and like the they're like quintessential Tex-Mex. Yeah. Well, you know what? Also, like something I suggest everyone to do because that first Texas Tornado record, there's an English version and a Spanish version. Yeah. Like, go and check out like the the Spanish version of all those songs too. Like that's uh, but like you know, there's also when you when you go back and like start listening to that record, the deep cuts. I mean, it's not necessarily even a deep cut, but you know, like Butch. Hancock. You know what? I'm sorry, Augie did not write. Who are you thinking of? I'm looking at it right now. It was Jim Glazer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now too. Actually, but he did. Uh, he but went with. Yeah. He made it his own. <laughs> <laughs> but like, For sure. there's like a a uh, Butch Hancock uh, cut on that record too. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I guess, you know, it, it won a, a Grammy. That's like, I don't know. It, that's when people talk about like super groups here in Texas or like super groups in general. The one that they always go to is Highwaymen, which is, yeah. granted, that's really great. But I'm always like, man, Texas Tornadoes, that that's maybe like your your number one seed as far as like we're putting them in a tournament or something. Real strong. Um, strong. Yeah. Now, obviously... I wanted to go back to, you talked about Born in San Antonio. That was picked up by Billions. That's when I guess we first kind of met, was around yeah. that point. And um, what's the story behind that? Like, did, did Brian Koppelman reach out to you personally? Have you met him? Yeah, he did. It seems like forever ago at this point, but... uh yeah, he like heard it on Spotify, Discover Weekly or something, and really liked it. So I've had some other syncs on TV since then, and they like were not the same. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> truly background music, like you could never tell what song it was. It's just like background noise. But the way that Koppelman used my song in that show was like he was truly trying to help me. And that show, obviously, like, I haven't really watched it, but I think at the time, especially, he was there priding themselves on the, the soundtrack, and I'm sure it's still the same. But, uh, yeah, they kicked off the season three, episode one, with my song, and it, uh, I self-released In the Shadows around that episode coming out, and it, it made a huge difference. It was definitely, like, the way he used the song, people latched onto it and could easily look it up and all sorts of people from San, San Antonio, like all over the world, uh, like reached out to me and bought the record and all this stuff. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I, I, for, for people who are maybe like unfamiliar with Brian Koppelman, um, he's probably like most known for like being the writer of rounders and obviously a billions now, but like, that's where like, I guess my connection is. I would say also this is like a side point on all of this. Um, the Ringer has like this podcast called The Rewatchables, and Koppelman was on an episode where they redid or where they talked about Godfather Two, and it's one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to in my entire life. And the way they break down Godfather Two is just incredibly perfect, and they talk about like that movie with nuance and everything that you would want it to be. So if you, if you're, this is, I guess, a, just a plug for going and 
listening to that episode of Rewatchables. Uh, so, anyways, um, yeah, yeah, Compliment's <laughs> cool, man. He, he he's a cool guy. And he, uh, I, I don't. That was my only brush with uh, like prime time or Hollywood or whatever. And at the moment, and uh, yeah, he means business. When he likes it, he likes it. And and you look at the other artists that he has on that soundtrack and tries to help out, like. He cares about Roots music and uh, yeah, he, he's, got, he's got good taste. If you if you follow him on uh, on Twitter, he's always interacting with guys like uh, Jason Isbell, and I think like he's had a few conversations with B.J. Barham of American Aquarium and stuff. So like he he is very much into like Roots music and singer songwriters and the broad genre of Americana. Um, what I was gonna say about that song though, I was gonna ask you about like. Obviously, like that, uh, born in San Antonio, like you go through that laundry list of like, you know, the the checklist of San Antonio things. Um, I guess like was that just like part of the what you envisioned that song to be was like, oh, I want this song to be a quote unquote theme of San Antonio. Like this is like if if I was putting together my my list of San Antonio things, this would be the checklist. Yeah, I mean, it's just supposed to be like a party party song. But yeah, I think that the checklist, like I have a never-ending list. Like I, I try to do ad-libs live and, you know, just obscure stuff, kind of like the music, unknown music scene stuff or just like weird histories about the cities. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned I Sean mean, Elliott. Yeah, laundry list, whatever. Like it, it's just like a, it's supposed to be a ramble. Yeah, essentially. No, no, I, I, I but, dig it. Even though I'm not a, a Spurs fan, so. Um. <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, you know, you uh, this is something that a lot of people probably know already. But you know, you you grew up with John Bauman. Uh huh. Did you always know like Bauman was going to be kind of like a writer, or like what was he gr- like growing up? Yeah, I mean, we always, like, played music and listening to the same... We, I've known that guy forever. And uh, music was definitely one of our, if not our main common uh, common ground. And uh, we used to, like, write fun songs just for the hell of it or just, like, trade artists and stuff. and uh, But... I guess when I was talking about living in Austin, like uh, that was when I started writing songs and that was basically just John and I trading, trading songs off essentially. Yeah. And uh, just like trying to figure out how to write songs like our favorite artists and uh, playing like weird Craigslist gigs. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it's been cool. It's cool that we're both still doing it and have found our own paths and um, successes along the way. Yeah. Have, have you guys, have you, obviously you mentioned at the very beginning, like trading songs and stuff like that, trading bands. Um, have you all tried writing together, like re- recently? Um, We'll throw like, uh, like song ideas past each other or like lyrical tweaks or stuff like that. We haven't like sat down and tried to uh, 
like write a song together in a long time, but mm -hmm. definitely like one of the only people that I send lyric ideas to if I think that just to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. You guys both feel very much like, I know Bauman's talked about it, like kind of like wanting, like just being a solo writer more so than always ending a co-writer or anything like that. feels like you guys are both kind of, um, at least that initial core idea, that first draft or whatever the case is, kind of just like working alone, working it all out, and then showing it off, sharing it yeah. from that point. I think that uh, I think that that's totally totally right. And part of it's just being stubborn. <laughs> you know what's weird to me is like not weird because I do it all the time, but is. I would probably have like a really hard time being a co-writer because like you, that stubbornness, but also like you're, you're giving up so much of the, the trust, I guess the responsibility. I don't know. Do you feel that? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to lyrics for me, I, I'm pretty like tied. I'm pretty attached to the lyrics that I write. Not that I don't change them up like all the time, but like, I guess when I was, we were talking earlier about like the, where the song lately came from or whatever. I mean, it's hard for me to write songs from other people's perspectives. So that's makes it hard to co-write. But on the other hand, I love collaborating with like different bands and different producers and stuff like that. And I'll, it, it really helps when the producer like, uh, I guess the closest I've gotten to aggressive songwriting is when like a someone like a producer that's like looking at the whole song, not just lyrically or musically, um, kind of helps me like change some lyrics here and there to uh, fit the song for um, a better final recording or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, like these these three records here like the trilogy, you've been working with different, like that second one you worked with Adam Oder as producer, and like this one that you have coming out, I'm not even sure. Uh, you've been working with... Yeah, Oder. I mean, I've definitely in all this downtime, um, I have an album that is not going to be part of the trilogy <laughs> that uh, is basically just my solo album. Um, and... We recorded it in January and yeah, December and January of this year. My friend Jerry DeSica produced it. He's got this long history of working with labels like Drag City and artists like Bill Callahan and just like that. He's from like Ohio. Right. But uh, he lives around here. And yeah, he definitely took the old school producer approach and I, I got my Austin band with like Brian, like the, it's all, it's basically that band, Mayu and Broussard. Oh yeah. Um, basically it's, it's a pretty live album. It sounds like, it sounds really live and, uh, it's kind of like anthemic country rock with some mix mix kind of like Warren Zevon meets Doug Som or something. But, uh, yeah, I don't know when that album's coming out, yeah. but 
that whole process was definitely like what I was talking about, like changing lyrical phrasing along with music and all that, just like the whole old school production treatment. And then just show up at the studio and cut the tracks live. Like it's all pre-production. Right. Well, I was going to ask, like, how did you not necessarily like, I'm sure that like you, there's a process of, or, or something with it, but like, how did you do, how have you decided like, Oh, these songs I want to, you know, you like the last record you worked with Adam. How did you decide like, Oh, that's where I want to take these songs, this idea. And then like, at the same time, you know, with this next record, oh, I want to take these songs to Jerry. Like, how do, I guess. Yeah. It usually just starts with the idea that I need to make a record and figuring out how I'm going to make it. Uh, and then figuring out what batch of songs to pull, pull from. Um, I usually don't write, sometimes, most of the time I don't write the songs aimlessly. I mean, for lack of a better word, I usually like am writing a song for like a specific project. Mm-hmm. And uh, that'll usually end up with a batch of songs, and then I'll go through my pool of songs I've never haven't used before and add those to the batch. And then, like with Adam Motor, I probably gave him fifteen songs or something, and he just I let him choose, and uh, that's what happened. Some of those songs on that record, you have like Jamie Lynn Wilson on and Carson McCone. And obviously there's that song with Augie. Like, I guess how did, did some of the songs, did you have in mind like these as being duets or anything like that? Or did, yeah, was it I just love kind duets of like, for whatever reason. So, uh, I definitely heard duets on some of that stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was cool to work with. It's always like a strategic nightmare when you're working on a budget and, in a studio wherever to like wrangle up everyone's schedules and get that kind of thing together in person. But, uh, I, I like having guests on my albums and, and, uh, yeah, Jamie, Jamie Lynn's awesome on that song and she's just awesome in general. Right. And Carson's great too. Yeah. Of course. That song but, with, uh, with Jamie, like it just feels like, um, like it was kind of like written for her in mind, even <laughs> in a way. I don't, like obviously, yeah. I don't even know if that's the case, but like totally, she just that felt makes like sense. she just like fit that song perfectly for for that. I guess that voice, you know, and that not necessarily voices and just her voice, but I mean like her whatever character she is in that song, you know. Absolutely, I mean she. Uh, it, it definitely fits her personality. Um, one of the other things you mentioned was kind of like how, yeah, you do have like this song you want, like you, you write intentionally for certain projects, but there are other songs that like they fit with the different bands. Like you, you have like the three timers where you put out that record with them and there's two or three songs from all right, all night on there as well. Was that just one of those things like these songs? I feel I hear them both ways, or was it? I guess like what was like the process of deciding like those songs fit both projects? Yeah, I mean a lot of those songs that I told you I gave to Odor were three time songs that I played with the three timers. Like the three timers are uh, 
basically my quote unquote honky tonk band that I formed almost deli- like almost only to play the white horse when I started getting gigs up there, which makes it even better that they're like the first band that I took to Europe with me. Um, because we're just like a beer drinking rough around the edges country rock band. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean the three timers, we wanted to make that record ourselves and we just did it here in town. The guitarist is a good, good at doing records like that. And, and that was that, but I wanted to make a record with Adam and see, uh, what would happen with it. Yeah. So I was kind of doing both of them at the same time. Yeah. What, you know, what's interesting too, is like, I've seen you, there's a couple of quotes, I guess, about how you kind of thought of this record as like your, not necessarily like quote unquote, Texas country, but like your being informed by guys like Robert O'Keefe and Steve Burrell. And it feels like a lot of those songs, even it's, I don't know how, if people really understand how these songs, they, they do very much fit in this like very spacey spaceship kind of that NASA country thing. But also like they are very much like a, like if Steve Earle or Robert Rilkeen or, you know, Rodney Crow or whoever from like the, your, your prototypical prototype, like Texas singer songwriter, like they both, like they fit in both worlds so perfectly. I don't know if, if I'm, doing like enough justice on like how you're able to weave those two together. Those two worlds. Um, yeah. I mean like the, the Adam Oder album, definitely. I knew that he was working with the moon pies and I knew I, I, I'd known his name for a long time. And, and, uh, he obviously has like a huge history in the recording world, especially with Texas music. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, Robert O'Keefe's one of my favorite artists, and I, I really liked that Steak Night at the Prairie Rose album. It sounded really good. Obviously, the Moon Pies are just like a ferocious band, but uh, sonically, it sounded really great. And Odor's a really cool guy. And yeah, I kind of wanted to make the Texas album. Quote unquote. Yeah. Because I, I felt like I was kind of like, I don't know. I still don't know where I'm going exactly, but I wanted to, uh, I wanted to make an album with someone that had worked with like Jason Boland and all these people, um, essentially. Right. Well, I, I don't know. Like, I'm t- like the, a lot of those songs. I know he's not a Texas guy, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, of course. Like, yeah. If you, and if uh, if you're listening right here, go look up like Adam's catalog or I don't know his 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 musical album history. You know he's got he's worked with everyone from like you mentioned the Moon Pies. He's got a Grammy for working with the Dixie Chicks as an engineer. You know he was basically Lloyd Baines's guy for ever, and so like that's why he's like really he's got like his fingerprints all over the the Texas music world especially if since i don't know like 95 or something so um i don't know i think like you on that record you you do it really well blending those two worlds because again like the alone with you like if if you 
if someone covered that song in the scene right now, it would be like you could you can hear that version. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Well, I, I'm working on all sorts of stuff. I've definitely like been writing a lot, almost to the point where I, I kind of need to stop writing. Maybe it's time to start co-writing. Because uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm just writing about the same thing over and over. But uh, is it? Is yeah, it, is I, got it that... a, I got an album in the can, and I'm doing the Nessa Country album. We're going to record that later this year, the third album in the trilogy. And it's going to be super far out. And the only gig I have planned is only things I thing I have planned right now is my uh, return to Europe in summer of 2021. <laughs> so who knows what the hell is going to happen before then? But that's all I'm planning on doing, uh, gig wise at the moment. Yeah. Well, okay. You're talking about the writing, and you feel like you're writing the same thing over. Is that like the is that like the the Groundhog's Day effect of of living? in 2020 since there are no gigs and there's no real movement. There's no real travel. There's no, you just kind of feel like you're doing the same thing daily. Yeah. I mean, I love writing and I love having projects to work on and stuff, but now it's, I I also like, I mean, I love playing live gigs and throwing my own shows. I mean, I own my own bar here in town. And I book all the bands. The Lonesome Rose is like our alternative honky-tonk. And everything in my world is like based around music. So the fact that events have been canceled or just can't happen is feeling this strange, this huge void has appeared. And I guess what I'm getting at is that uh, when I'm writing, I usually see like some sort of stage in mind. Or like some sort of setting, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of what in most of the, it's pretty much always a like a a show, and uh, yeah, it's weird not knowing when like I could take the songs to the stage. Right. Well, also the I guess like what what kind of added stress has it been? since you do own a bar and like we're not open. Has that like, Um, has that affected the way you, we're we're, we're in this, we're, we're doing fine. I mean, all the other, all the other venues and bars are closed, but as well, but, uh, it, yeah, I mean, we're just closed. It's been pretty stressful in its own way, but at this point, what isn't, you know? One last question on that, though, too, is you had uh, this really great mural put on the side the other day. Matt Tum- Tumlinson, right? Tumlinson, yeah. Yeah. What, uh, I guess, like, obviously, <laughs> it's all, like, San Antonio tied and everything like that, but, like, what what made you decide, hey, well, I need this San Antonio mural on the side? Um. Well, Tumlinson's a, a buddy, and he does great Texas-themed stuff, and he had mentioned doing a mural and we have this big wall, like right in the great part of town. So he basically, yeah, he made that. It's, I think he basically based it off of that long rambling verse in mm-hmm. born in San Antonio. Yeah. Um, I need to get but, him on the podcast. We, we had some killer shows like 
Man, we had the, there's this beer conference. We've had some cool shows at the Rose, and that's like a whole nother conversation. But I was thinking about this yesterday. Like we, there is a beer conference in town that wanted to throw a cool gig at my venue on April 20th on 420 for some reason. It was a Monday. <laughs> and uh, we ended up booking Sarah Shook and the Disarmers. It was going to be like five, like, like five bucks to the public or something. And James Hand was going to open for. Like it was like a crazy, a crazy music night. And I was just thinking about that yesterday. Like, man, I can't believe this shit. Like that can never happen, you know? Right. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I said I had like one last question just a minute ago, but I actually have one other question here. And this is like a goof question really, but obviously you've been, you've done a lot of these promos where you call someone on the phone and then like Charlie Crockett will answer the phone and these, it's these old dial phones, those old rotary kind of style. Is, uh-huh. that, is that what you're talking on right now? No, definitely not. <laughs> what, what, what did you decide? Like, how did you like decide? Hey, this is what I need to. These are great promos. The phone, just, the yeah. phone commercials. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. For some reason, my mind, my mind uh, thought that doing a phone commercial would would be good one day. I think that for that show I was talking about with Flacco and Santiago and Augie Myers on two years ago mm-hmm. that was like the first phone commercial and like Augie and Santiago like on the phone was just like hilarious but <laughs> yeah gotta keep it alive it's just my goofy um caveman style phone call commercials but I mean like Bill Callahan did one like people people think they're funny yeah <laughs> in their own way so I'm assuming at the very beginning you had to like no, 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 trust me, this is going to work. <laughs> and now it's like, hey, we do this thing where we do phone commercials. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like Kinky, Kinky Friedman yeah, yeah, was yeah. a good one. Um, uh, well, now you know what the thing is, is like Charlie Crockett, he put out a, or he's putting out a record at the end of the month. And like that first song, he's got like an old school phone in it, like in the music video or something like that. And I was like, yeah, he did a, he did a commercial. I can't help but think that like that's where... The, the seed of that I idea hope. came from the no, Garrett T. Cats funny. commercials. <laughs> okay, y'all, that does it for this week. Thanks for listening. Go check out Garrett T. Caps. Stop by the New Slang merch store. And episode sponsors the Blue Light Live and Tom's Daiquiri here in Lubbock, Texas. I'll see y'all next Monday for another interview.